Welcome to another episode of Stories from the Atlantic. The sun comes up at around 11.20 during the darkest period of Iceland, but in late January, the sun is already on its phenomenal upward trajectory, giving the sun-starved nation two to three minutes more of daylight each day. Along with the valuable extra minutes the nation received on January 29th, another ray of light offered its services to a worthy cause in Iceland. Only problem was that no one seemed to be accepting. Caitlin Jarvis had arrived in Iceland early in the morning, hoping to volunteer during her two-day stay, but the inbox stayed silent. The few organizations Caitlin had reached out to, as well as one that I contacted for her, had not responded, and so she sat in my car by the harbor front with nothing to volunteer but her story, starting with her arrival in Iceland. 5 a.m. this morning, January 29th. Feeling... Very tired. (laughs) I am here because I'm attempting to travel to every country in the world. And Iceland was next on my list. There's 193 countries and Iceland's number 88. Peace Stamps, like I said, is my nonprofit. And there's three missions of Peace Stamps. The first one is to promote cultural understanding by making a positive difference through your travels. So I try and do that by doing a volunteer project in every country. Is My thought process behind volunteering is that I'm, benefit, I'm helping another country by volunteering. But on the flip side, a lot of people from around the world don't get to leave their country, whether it's because they can't afford it or the laws of their country. So if their one interaction is a positive one with the person from another country, we are one step closer to global cultural understanding. So that's the first mission. Um, The second mission is to prove to the world that just because there's some bad people in the world, a majority of people are like you and I, and they want everyone to get along. They have the same wants and needs as us. They want like meaningful relationships. They want to be happy things like that. And then the third mission is I want to inspire people to pursue their passions no matter how crazy they are. I feel that a lot of people like succumb to social norms because they think it's like what is smart and then they ignore what makes them happy for what they think is smart. It's like a combination of what makes me happy, volunteering and traveling. Her volunteering started at a young age, at home in Cincinnati, in the United States of America. With the passing of her grandmother, she organized the lacrosse tournament to raise money for cancer research, which she organized for three years. She volunteered with an organization against animal cruelty, natural disaster relief, and taught responsible finance to kids, which begs the question of how she manages financially. I'm funding this through all of my savings from working in banking for five years but then I also reach out to corporate sponsors and then also through my nonprofit I accept donations but my goal through the nonprofit is to provide grants to other people to do what I'm doing well I'm definitely not making as much money as I did when I was bank when I was working in banking but I'm way happier and like wouldn't trade it for the world (laughs) I just didn't feel like I was helping anybody. She worked in banking, doing something she described as nitpicking small banks, 
regarding ways for them to cut costs by small changes, something she felt was unnecessary in the grand scheme of things. But what pushed her to move away from her career happened far from home. So I lived in Australia in 2015. So something changed in me when I lived in Australia. And when I came back, I was never the same. (laughs) And I had always considered quitting my job and moving to Australia. But in March of this year, I saw on the news this girl who went to every country in the world. And I was super inspired. So I decided, I'm like, I'm going to do it. If she can do it, I can do it. (laughs) We will blame it on jet lag. That March of this year was, of course, March of last year. What is clear that her goals entail a certain focus on achievements and the aspect of overcoming the gender issue when it comes to reaching such goals. Through this project, I'm also trying to break two Guinness World Records for fastest and youngest female to travel to every country in the world. So my goal is 16 months. Currently, I'm seven months in, so I have nine months to go. The list of first women, not to be confused with the honorary title of first lady, has been growing longer, mostly throughout the 20th century. Take your pick from websites like Ranker.com, which outlines what they call the coolest female first in history, starting with Marie Curie, first female Nobel Prize winner in 1903 for her research on radioactivity, jumping to number three, Valentina Vladimirovna Tereshkova, who became the first female in space, piloting the Russian Vostok 6 in 1963. In 1921, novelist Edith Wharton becomes the first female winner of a Pulitzer Prize for fiction. And let us not forget Iceland's own first, the woman who broke the idea of the first lady as a wife only, becoming the first democratically elected head of state in 1980, a single mother, director of Iceland's National Theatre, and a successful president for 16 years. The list goes on, of course, but on that specific list, number two is Amelia Earhart, first female to fly solo over the Atlantic, and the woman Caitlin feels a certain connection to, as if she shares a parallel path. But like those that came before her, there are different kind of challenges she faces by being a woman, something that is enhanced in many people's minds due to her destinations. The first thing they say to me when I tell them I'm traveling to countries like Libya, Algeria, Syria, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, they, they're like, you're going to go alone as a girl? And I mean, yeah, sometimes it's dangerous to go places as a female, but I feel like if you do your research, you respect their culture, you follow their laws, and you just are smart about it, that you'll be fine. I probably do 12 to 15 hours of research for every country. So if I think the country may be more dangerous than some other countries, I'll go through like a tour group. So I have a local with me. So if there's something I miss, they can be like, hey, don't do that. And I'll, then I'll be safer. The only time I've ever really felt uncomfortable was when I was in Haiti. Um, in South America, like I'm blonde hair, blue eyed. So I stood out. So men would like say stuff to me. But then as soon as I walked away, they would leave me alone. But in Haiti, like some men would follow you for like 200 meters up the street, just saying stuff to you. I simply don't know how to tackle the issue of commenting 
on such experiences. Firstly, my experience as a man traveling to countries around the world have never entailed such situations, but to imagine it simply sucks. Secondly, the issue of cultural differences. I mean, does that even weigh in? Or the reality of women's position in places where equal rights and respect are far from what many would deem okay? Aside from the idea of how things should be, the reality of risks for certain places is there. And in the case of such harassment, Caitlin's reaction was to keep walking. Time spent researching places is another factor, and whether those hours Caitlin spends are enough or too little can never completely guarantee a smooth journey. Like she experienced in an airport in Bolivia, finding her cell phone had been taken. And so I start crying in the middle of the airport, and these two airline workers see me crying, and they ask me what's wrong, and I tell them that I can't find my cell phone. So I see a security camera, and I ask if we can watch the footage. And so five minutes later, we're up in the head of the airport's office watching this footage. And sure enough, the second time I bend over to put my stuff in my bag, the immigration officer steals my phone off the desk and hides it under the desk. Her travels at that point had taken her to 88 country. But at that time, she had not entered what we might consider war zones, nor is she likely to. Perhaps the closest to conflict would be her visit to Ramallah in Palestine, which has an unclear status as a nation, though recognized by many. She arrived at the time of President Trump's announcement that the U.S. seized Jerusalem as Israel's capital and would soon open a U.S. embassy there to back that claim. Signs of protest in the streets burnt tires, but she did not see any of it. With the inherent risks, I asked how her parents felt about her project. Yeah, so my parents were really nervous at first, but they've become more and more okay with it. There was a, a time in Colombia when I couldn't find a volunteer project, but I met this guy from Denver, and he invited me to this dinner. And the only way he described it to me was, there will be a lot of people from all over the world and free food from all over the world. And I said to him, sounds like my kind of party. So we go to this party, and it turns out to be, I don't know if you've ever heard of ISEC. It ended up being a conference for ISEC, which is the largest youth-run volunteering organization in the world. So my parents are like big believers in signs, so they thought that was a very positive sign for what I'm trying to do. Though you won't find a TED Talk or America Today interview with Caitlin, Yet, she does share her experiences through high school talks where common questions are how do you pay for this? Will you go to North Korea? And? Uh, and oh, the best question is if I can actually get a good understanding of the country since I only average two and a half days in each country. And I really think I do. I use my time wisely when I go to countries try to immerse myself in the culture so that I have a good understanding of the country. It's not like I'm just going to a country, partying and sleeping in. I try and see as much as I can while I'm there. Just on a side note, I thought of the idea of an anthropologist going to various countries and through immersion in the local party scene, not the tourist clubs, writes deep and insightful observations about the reality of life there, something that the journalist and comic book writer Joe Sacco included in his books to some degree. 
But I get what he's saying, though understanding a country is of course something measured on a very long yardstick, from not knowing anything to infinity, as not even those who live in a country ever fully understand or know every aspect of it. Even locals are exposed to a certain view and understanding, limited, perhaps, by which media they hear, who they know, what their ideologies are, religion, etc. But attempting to immerse yourself, to learn, to ask questions, and understand, is more than many people do, local or not. And that's what Caitlin has done on various levels, including important insights she gained from studying about the religions she knew little about, but 1.8 billion people around the world follow. There's a lot of people who don't really know much about the Muslim religion, and they assume that Islam is as extreme as ISIS, when in fact it's not. So, like, before I started this mission, I didn't really know a whole lot about Islam. So I went to the Cincinnati Islamic Center just to learn about it, and... I didn't realize, like, how connected the religions were. Well, specifically, I'm Christian, so I didn't realize how connected my religion was to Islam. Like, Muslim people believe in Jesus. They just don't believe that he is the Messiah. And I wish that people would do what I did and seek information instead of just listen, listening to what is told to them. Her lofty goal of world peace once got criticized by someone after the release of an article about her. Basically that I was delusional and that world peace is unattainable. And so that was the only negative. I feel like if more people went out and tried to see the world and understand the world, it is definitely attainable. World peace is the ultimate goal. But if people just accepted the differences in each other's cultures, I think that would be great too. Whether we settle for less than world peace, I leave as an open question to all of you listening. Wherever the world is, on the hot or cold scale of world peace, it must be said that with the current U.S. administration and its use of language against other cultures, Caitlin is both facing an uphill battle as well as dealing with the influence of being American in just that climate. But back to her mission, which is based around volunteering, which on that January afternoon was an uncertainty in Iceland. I asked whether she chooses certain issues when it comes to her choice of organizations. I don't choose one specific cause to volunteer for because I don't want to discourage anyone from volunteering for an organization they're passionate about. I think that if you are trying to do something good, that that's great. And you shouldn't be pigeonholed into one cause. So I volunteered with orphanages, homeless shelters, soup kitchens, uh, animal sanctuaries. The list goes on and can be gauged better on her website, to which we will have a link on her homepage. Her project... Goals and travels often gets people interested, not only in her journey, but a sort of dreamy contemplation of, oh, if I only could. A lot of people say that they wish they could do what I am doing, and I feel like you can. <laughs> I, unless you have a family and you have other people to worry about, 
Like, I still have student loans, but I pay them off while I'm traveling. So the reason I did it when I did it is because I didn't have a whole lot of responsibility. And I was considering buying a house. And then that was another trigger point where I just wasn't ready to be held down in one place. Oh, I love it. I Every time I walk into a new country, I get this smile on my face that I just can't knock off. <laughs> and I sort of... I like moving around a lot. I feel like I get bored if I stay in one place too long. So I like the nomad lifestyle. One of the inspirations she hopes to give to others is the solo aspect. I'm hoping that me traveling as a solo female will inspire other women to solo travel. Even men. I think that a lot of people feel like they have to travel with a companion, but it's kind of freeing to just go off by yourself. It forces you to get outside of your comfort zone. You'll be lonely if you don't talk to people. And if we fast forward beyond her visiting 195 countries, volunteering, and after all the hundreds of baby turtles released, homeless helped, children fed, and wild animals aided, what does she want to do? I have a couple ideas. One would be a tour company. Two, I want to buy a school bus and make it, like, renovate it and then take people on road trips across America and just do pit stops and do little volunteer projects across America, but then also do sightseeing stuff so it's fun and you're helping. Though the school bus of Ken Casey and his merry pranksters in the 60s comes to mind, Caitlin's approach to helping the world is a very different one. Although, what they might share in common is the attempt to change people's perceptions. Her situation also made me think of all the possible ideas that I could come up with on a short notice of how to actually volunteer. Aside from formal organizations, what could you do? I mean, there's people that walk around Reykjavik picking up garbage. Too few, but there are some. So it begs the question, if you were to volunteer or do something, maybe not with an organization today, what could you Or what would you do? Her whole volunteering aspect, of course, also brings up questions of volunteering around the world. The phenomena of volunteering. The voluntourism which has developed. And the question of how is it in China as opposed to America? Benjamin Franklin having been the first known organizer of a volunteer firefighting service. And from there on out, start picking the internet and you'll find thousands of organizations you can volunteer with. I would like to add that in Iceland... There is a volunteer service which is a rescue service called Landsbjörg. Tens of thousands of people who are members. And these people, at short notice, volcanic eruptions, floods, storms, whatever it is, earthquakes, tens of thousands of people actually go out, especially with searching for lost people. And they will volunteer their time aiding others. It's an interesting question in which countries there's a stronger uh, culture or tradition of volunteering and what it means, what it actually does Back to Caitlin. Two days later, she was gone to her next destinations, including Iran and Iraq, where she visited ancient religious and historical sites, Saddam Hussein's palace, constantly trying to learn and understand more about the places and their often misunderstood cultures. Her stay there was full of welcoming hospitality, though no volunteering. After that, she went to Nepal, where she volunteered with rights to access, and in India with Hazard Center. 
but the former focuses on farming solutions for less developed parts of the country and in India, problem-solving for small villages. Upcoming is highway trash cleaning in Tanzania, student aid in Liberia, and donating a well in Uganda. Sounds busy? She is. We'll have a link on our website, www.storiesfromtheatlantic.com, to Caitlin's project, Peace Stamps. But for now, that's it.